Your pastor shared with me a few moments ago about a study from uh, Pastor James McDonald that you, as a church, many of you at least, went through about the subject of forgiveness. And when I go into a revival, I pray about direction, where I'm to go, what I'm to say, what stories to share, these types of things. So when I landed my plane on the subject of forgiveness tonight, this may not be for you. It may be for me. A lot of times I preach messages and the Lord will go, that was powerful and it was for you. So tonight, if you will give me a few moments, I think I have some things I need to say to myself. And then some of you can join me. I had a meeting at 3 o'clock this afternoon. I will not go into the details. But in the ministry for the last 28 years, there have been occasions, moments where there's total reliance on the Lord. I wish I could say at all times there's total reliance on the Lord, but sometimes we get cocky and we believe that we can do it on our own. We can sort of say, I've been here, done that, got the ugly t-shirt, so it's just going to be a repeat of something I've done before. But when it comes to forgiveness, I think every situation and circumstance is unique. Because sometimes it's with a parishioner, someone that you love, but yet at the moment you're not being loved back. And so you have to extend a grace and mercy to someone only because God has first loved you. Because there are moments where I'm unlovable and you're unlovable, but yet our spouse or others close to us love us anyway. And so as I drove today, my mind was running and racing. I didn't even turn on the radio, no Pandora music, nothing, and it was just thoughts. And some of those thoughts included violence against the man that I spoke with today at 3 o'clock. But we had finished our time together in prayer, but you know how Satan works? How the enemy sometimes is a punk and a thief and a liar? And he'll walk into your life to try to manipulate your thoughts, to try to get you to go down paths that you thought you had already conquered, that you was already victorious over, but yet they present themselves again, and we take one step, and then we're there. Forgiveness is something that all of us need to be reminded of. And so I'm here on the heels of your pastor's study a year or so ago to remind us that there are some relationships that need to be repaired that really matter. There may be some circumstances and situations that, that we are aware of that for the longest time has been swept under the carpet and you've not dealt with, hoping they'll just go away. But I've learned the longer you wait, the worse it becomes. That, that's why I believe for those of us who are followers of Jesus that we are to do what we do quickly. Yes, after prayer. Yes, after fasting. But we are to minister to our brother, our sister, our spouse, our son, our daughter, our grandchild, our parent, whomever it may be. And we're to do this in the quickest way possible. 
But I do believe it begins with us by looking into a mirror. A mirror of reflections to see where we are. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn with me to the 139th Psalm. I'm going to share six verses, and then in a moment, we're going to go toward the end of the chapter, and I'll share with us two verses. I'm reading from the ESV this evening, and I pray that this will minister to you as the Holy Spirit ministers to me. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Nothing is hidden. Tonight, I share with us as followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ together, that nothing will remain hidden. Right now, you may feel as if it's your secret. Only you know about it. But there is an all-knowing, all-wise Father, a good, good Father, who knows what we think, the words that are on our tongue before we ever speak it, and loves us anyway. And that's challenging to me, especially when I'm getting with my children. Or when Joe and I have had a little tiff going back and forth. That there is a love that is given to me by the creator of all things. And he knows me better than I know myself. He knows my words before I speak them, yet he loves me. He knows two and a half weeks from now when I'm going to stumble and I'm going to trip over my tongue or I'm going to do something I should not do and he loves me anyway. I pray that that is almost defying to you that you go, wow, that God would love me that way even though he knows me that much? Absolutely. Joe and I dated three and a half years before we got married. I should have married her much quicker. But yet I did not, and that's one of my greatest regrets. But nevertheless, after we got married, I was a 28-year-old bachelor, and I'd gotten used to sleeping alone. Joe is only 22, 23, and she had just graduated from the University of North Alabama. She had started her MBA in marketing at the same school, and so here we are taking two saved yet sinful people and putting them in the same house. And knowing that I had been a bachelor a while, and I had my way, and my chair, and my food, and my bed, and everything had to be shared. Everything had to be divided. Every, everything had to be ours. And yet, through those first few months, Joe was traveling with me. I was having a wonderful time preaching the gospel. I did a lot of revivals, and I went into full-time evangelism. And I was not a nice person after I would preach. No, I wasn't violent. I, there was no domestic abuse, per se, but... Because my nature is introversion, when I would get through preaching and use up all my words, I wouldn't talk to my wife. So we would go to a day's in, a 
Holiday Inn somewhere after I'd preached a revival, and I'd been jovial, and I'd been cutting up with the pastor. We'd gone out to the restaurant to eat with he and his wife and had a wonderful time. I'd get in the car. Wouldn't say anything else. And I had a young man call me and say, Joel, I want you to do an ordination service for me. I said, be honored to. It was actually at the same church that Joe and I got married in in Madison called Wall Highway Baptist Church. Kevin asked me to do his ordination service. And I'm developing this message and got this great title, God, then family, then ministry. And man, I was wearing Kevin out. I was getting after him about being this and being that and being this kind of husband, being this kind of dad. And all, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, whoa, this is not for Kevin. This is for you. And I don't know how your mind works, Brother Sammy or Scott, when you guys are singing and things. I can be talking to you, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on up here. You're not necessarily even here in the room with you, but there may be something that's going on. So while I'm preaching this ordination service, the Holy Spirit's saying, this is not for Kevin, it's for you. You need to apologize to your wife. And of course, I'm having this conversation in my head while I'm talking to everybody else, and I finally went, okay. And I stepped down off the platform, and I went back to my wife about three rows back on the left-hand side, and I said, Joe, I have to apologize to you. This message tonight is not for Kevin. It's for me. And will you forgive me? Four big old crocodile tears rose up. We embraced right there. And then I went back and I finished up the ordination service. And she says, what got into you? I said, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. And I needed to ask you to forgive me. She said, I'd always wondered if you were mad at me after a revival. I said, what? She said, oh yeah, we'd go back to the room and you wouldn't give me a dime's worth of words. And I didn't even know I was doing that. You know, sometimes we need to even ask forgiveness of things we don't even recognize that we're doing to the people who are the very closest to us. Now I can look at some of your faces right now. This is resonating a little bit, isn't it? Look at verse 23 and 24. This is what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If you would have moral courage tonight to really talk to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to reveal to you you already know my heart, Father. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there is any grievous way in me, show it to me. Now that night of that ordination service, I really hadn't asked, but he told me anyway. So hopefully based upon that lesson that I learned long ago, maybe tonight it can avert something that is on your horizon. That if you would be willing to say, Honey, did what Joel talk about tonight, does that apply to us? You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a worship pastor. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be anything per se, a title. It could just be a husband and a wife here tonight. 
It could be someone who's a single mom, single dad. It could be any one of us in a variety of situations that we just need to ask the Lord to search us and show me any grievous way. So there is the compulsion now to examine ourselves. Scripture bears this out in a number of other places. Notice on the screen with me, Lamentations 3 and 40. Let us test and examine our ways and then return to the Lord. Some of us tonight need to return to the Lord. We believe we've been getting away with something, but God already knows about it, so you hadn't gotten away with it. So now before it shouted from the rooftops, you need to repent of it. I was at a men's conference with uh, Johnny Hunt from First Baptist Church Woodstock a few years ago. And he was speaking to a group of men and he was covering some subject matter that was very sensitive. And he looks out across us and he says, let me tell you how I live. I try to live close and clean to Jesus. And that was number one. He said, and secondly, tonight, if you've got something going on in your life, what you uncover in repentance, God will cover. But what you cover in unrepentance, God will shout it. That has stuck with me 10, 12, 15 years and any time I may have temptation to go one way or the other about one thing or another, I'm always reminded by the spirit of that. So immediately I try to uncover. Lord, I repent. Lord, I give this back to you. Lord, you have searched me and shown me my grievous way. So Lord, please forgive me. But when you and I begin to understand how much he has forgiven us for, how in heaven's name could we ever withhold forgiveness from another person? No matter how they've hurt us, how they've broken us. 1 Corinthians 11 and 28 says, let a person examine himself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So based upon these few passages about examination, let me give you three questions. Is the pain of unforgiveness... I am doing because of me. Is it on me? Is the bitterness buildup I am feeling because of me? Is the lack of peace that keeps me up at night because of me? Now what I want us to do these last few minutes together, I want us to examine a passage of Scripture. I don't know if you guys covered this in the James McDonald study. Pastor doesn't believe that we did. But this is for somebody here tonight. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. This is a familiar story of one Paul, Barnabas, and a young man by the name of John Mark. If you're there, say amen. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Let's hit the pause button for a moment. Did you know that sometimes we as members of the body of Christ, even sometimes members of the same church, can have a sharp disagreement? That's what I had with my brother this afternoon at 3 p.m. Something had laid and festered for five months. When I found out about it, I made the phone call and said, I can come to your home or you can come see me, but we're going to work this thing out. 
Because I do believe that true followers of Jesus can learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. So I've chosen that even though there was a sharp disagreement, I needed to be the one who gives the soft answer that turns away wrath. Somebody has to be the adult. Someone has to say, I don't have to win this argument. I would rather be reconciled than be right. And, and I'm afraid sometimes among husbands and wives, sometimes among family members or even circles of friends, we allow that sharp disagreement never to be dealt with. And then you blink and 20 years has gone by. And it, a person who at one time was your best friend is no longer your best friend. They've now become an enemy. Simply because we won't step up to the plate and be obedient to Matthew chapter 18 and go to a person one-on-one. -on -one. And then if that doesn't work, we take someone with us to be a mediator. And then the last resort is you make it public. But for whatever reason, we sense that if I have an issue, I need to get a posse of folks who will agree with me, and then I go. Or I put it on social media for the whole world to see. So the, the challenge is for us, will we respond in a Christ-like manner when there is a sharp disagreement? And between Paul and Barnabas, we're about to read about it. It goes on to say, So they separated from each other, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, many of you are students of the Scriptures. We first see John Mark way back in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. He's the son of a Christian woman named Mary. And in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, we learn that Mark was also the cousin of Barnabas, so he was family. So it's really not surprising that this Barnabas guy would want to take Mark on the missionary journey with him. However, this would not be the first time that Mark had assisted his cousin. Because from chapter 12, where we're first introduced to John Mark, we go to chapter 13, because Mark had accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Therefore, Barnabas' plan was to take Mark on the second missionary journey. Natural, logical. But Paul says, absolutely not. There's a reason why. He insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So why was Paul so opposed? He responds, because Mark deserted us halfway through our first missionary journey. They left him hanging. And that accusation is confirmed in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, where it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now please don't misunderstand. Luke does not tell us exactly why Mark left. But he didn't apostatize from the faith because when someone wrongs you, it's not that they're leaving the Lord, sometimes they're just leaving you. So what happens in this situation is Mark apostatizes the ministry. A lot of the commentaries that I consulted in preparation with this message talks about he may have been afraid of the robbers and he may have been afraid and has had a lot of fear about being away from family. A lot of things could have happened. So Paul says, I don't think he's got the Christian maturity. I don't think he should go on this second trip. So that brings the sharp disagreement and the separation. 
So my question was, how can two of the greatest leaders in the early church come to this place where they, in serving Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit, have such a disagreement? And then I got to looking around. How can we do the same things? How, how can we look at a, a neighbor, a friend, a teammate, a, a co-worker, whatever, that we've loved, we've cared about, we've even gone on mission trips with, whatever the case may be, and then we have this sharp disagreement so much that you separate from one another. My point is, if it could happen to Paul and Barnabas, it could certainly happen to one of us. But there is a beautiful ending to the story. All of us are going to go through scenarios. We're going to th go through these, these moments of time where someone lets us down. And sometimes it'll be intentional because they're a rascal. And sometimes it'll be unintentional because they may not know what to do or they know what to do, but they're afraid to do it. In fact, whether intentional or unintentional, other people hurt us and we bring hurt to others as well. Now, let me just give you a few examples. You may already know about this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So Paul is writing this final greeting to his Colossian brothers and sisters, and everything's fine. Him and Demas, thumbs up. We're cool. Everything's fine. But then Paul, in writing to young Timothy, the second letter, says, Do your best to come to me also, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, and he has gone to Thessalonica. Now, just a book or so ago, guess what? He's my bud. Well, now he loves this present world and he's no longer hanging out with me. But Paul not only had a problem with John, Mark, and Demas, there's another guy. 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. And the longer I'm in ministry, the more that I realize that betrayal is real. Being lied to is real. Rejection is real. Abandonment is real. Hurt is real. Brokenness is real. Resentment is real. All of the emotions that you and I may go through because we have been hurt is real. But God's word is real as well. And that's where our hope is found tonight. On hopefully not the last night of revival, but the first night of revival for your church. As you take what has been shared with you in song and in sermon, these few days together, it now becomes the wind. And now you extend the wings and say, here I go. Lord, where will you have us to go? What will you have us to do? So if someone betrays you, if somebody hurts you, if somebody, and again, intentional or unintentional, it really doesn't matter. What's our response? Well, Paul talked to us about it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, 32. Let all bitterness... And wrath, and anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You may be scratching your head, why and how should I do this? How can I forgive those who have hurt me? Well, number one, because God has forgiven me. That's the only way that I know I can forgive someone else. Whether it's my brother that I talked to this afternoon or someone I'll meet next week is because, first of all, God has forgiven me. 1 John 4, verse, beginning in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. 
And if anyone says that I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Ooh. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment, commandment we have from him that whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I see that as a command, not a suggestion. Do you, do you see it the same way? I, I don't see God say, we can take this or leave it. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is how you should live your life. So don't say that you love God, but then you hate someone else. It says, if you do, you are a liar. Why? Resentment does not work. It's illogical and unreasonable. Hanging on to resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And maybe some of us tonight got some resentment going on. Author S.I. McMillan wrote, the two greatest causes of physical problems in your life are guilt and resentment. Research has shown that one of the unhealthiest emotions people have is resentment. I minister to them every week. And then I have to be on guard that I'm not becoming resentful of those who are showing resentment towards someone else. I had a preacher say one time, as long as there's people, there's job security. Because we're going to act the way that we're going to act. And we're going to say what we want to say. And we're going to do whatever we want to do. But I've learned that just because you think it don't mean you get to say it. Especially if it's going to hurt someone else. If it's going to cut someone else. If it's going to break someone else. Why? Because I'm going to need forgiveness in the future. There's another reason why I forgive others, because I'm going to need forgiveness in the future. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also is who in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Have you ever felt that you've come to this altar, and you've asked God to forgive you, and you almost felt like you hadn't been forgiven? Now, you know what the truth is. You know that you have, but for whatever reason, you may be harboring something. You're holding something back, and you're asking God to forgive you, but you just don't, you don't feel it. I think there's a consequence that when we hold on to the past because of something that's been done in our life, and we're trying to attain something in the future, and we're somewhere broken in the middle. John Wesley, great preacher, long ago, a man came up to him and says, I can never forgive that person, never. And John Wesley responded, then I hope you never sin because we all need what we do not want to give. We all need what we do not want to give. So as I bring us to a little close tonight, whatever happened to Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark? The Bible says that Paul and John Mark eventually reconciled. Is there somebody you need to eventually reconcile with? Is there someone you need to have a conversation with? And again, if they hadn't called you, you call them. Oh, but it's up to them. No, it's not. If the Holy Spirit has brought me here tonight and shared this message with you, it may be up to you. Make that call. Send that text. I, there's so many means of communication today, we can't even explain them all. Make the touch. Why? Because you may find that they've been waiting. Because they consider you the bigger man or the bigger woman. The one who loves Jesus. The one who is devoted to the cross. 
And maybe they're far from the cross right now. And they need a godly man or a godly woman who will step across the bridge and say, let's make this right. Now you may still not agree with everything. But you can become reconciled by loving and forgiving one another. Paul's coming to the end of his life, as all of us will at some point in time. So he's instructing the church at Colossae to receive him in Colossians 4 and 10. And then in Colossians 4, 11, together with others, Paul says that he proved to be a comfort to me. Who's he talking about? Talking about John Mark. Paul tells Philemon that Mark and others are fellow laborers. Philemon, verse 24. But then in his last epistle, Paul tells Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. I love it. He's useful to me. Oh, we're talking about the same guy that abandoned me on the first missionary trip, and then on the second missionary trip, I didn't even want to have anything to do with him. So Barnabas takes him, and then I hook up with Silas. Yeah, that's the very same one. You know what I've learned the longer I live? And I hope I get many more years if Christ tarries his coming. But I've asked the Lord to make me softer as I get older instead of crustier. I want my little boy and little girl to grow up and want to be around their daddy. I want them to bring those grandbabies to see me one day. And I think as long as I keep a forgiving heart and I don't let it crust over with bitterness and resentment and anger, I think the Holy Spirit will continue to allow me to do that. Mark is considered the author of the Gospel of Mark. Boy, you're talking about a comeback, amen? You're not going on this mission trip with me. But then now, for 2,000 years, we've been talking about the Gospel of Mark. And it could very well be the same John Mark that we've talked about tonight. So what can this teach us? Just a few things. Number one, we need to face the reality that godly brothers and sisters may have sharp disagreements and even sad divisions. Pastor, you know what I've learned? That not everybody that starts with me finishes with me. I wish everybody would get on the train. I wish everybody would understand the vision of what we're desiring to do and what we want to do, but there will be individuals just like those who were shouting Hosanna at the beginning of the week will shout crucify at the end of the week. It's just how life is. And it doesn't have to be ministry. It doesn't have to be a minister. It could be any one of us in this room. People are people. But you know what I've learned as well? Hurting people hurt people. Those who have unresolved issues on the inside usually have a beef with almost everybody. And what I usually try to do in counseling, I try to find the common denominator of a scenario and a situation. And sometimes I'm able to point it out very, rather quickly and go, you know, I've listened to your life story, and every problem you've shared with me, you're in the center of it. You're the problem. It's not everybody else. It's you. Now, of course, none of us would like to hear that, but sometimes we need to hear that. Because we won't do self-reflection. We won't look in the mirror ourselves, but what the Holy Ghost will do is bring somebody else to hold up a mirror to us. And maybe that's what I've done tonight. And it first started with me because of my attitude from this afternoon. I love how the Holy Spirit works. Secondly, we learn that though we may not overlook disagreements and divisions, 
yet we do not always have to take sides. Do you always have to have a winner and a loser? Why not seek out the win-win scenario? Now, I'm not talking about biblical orthodoxy. I'm talking about preferences. I'm talking about opinions. So why create that this side wins and this side loses? Why not find that place where both walk away with their integrity and their character intact and know that we both won? Thirdly, we learn that God's providence is able to overrule such disagreements and divisions for good. You just got to trust the Father. Trust Him. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Ultimately, He's the one in control. It is an illusion for you and I to think we're in control. Rita gave me a copy. of a video that was made about all the fields coming back to Phil Campbell. And I'm about 26, 27 minutes into that video today, and I'm sort of laughing along, and I'm saying, man, what a great idea. Then April 27, 2011, everything changed. Everything. I squalled. My assistant comes in and she looks at me and she says, do I need to go back out? What's wrong with you? I said, I'm watching this video. I'm with Phil. Man, my heart. Some of you are in that video. Some of your homes were destroyed. People you loved passed away. Somehow, we trust the providential care and then sometimes the unknown of God. When, when Scott was sharing about his sickness a few moments ago, I didn't know where he was going with that because I was in Louisville, Kentucky while he was facing all that. Sometimes we're not going to understand. And it's going to be real easy to get bitter. Why me, God? Why our town? Why Hackleburg? Why? There's going to be a moment, hopefully an epiphanal moment, where we go, God, in spite of all this, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. We learn that in spite of such disagreements and divisions, the work of God's kingdom goes forward. Look around, guys. The work of God's kingdom goes forward. That video shows your first service out in the parking lot. It showed at the end this completed, beautiful facility. Has the little captions under it. It just moved my heart. God's kingdom goes forward. Now listen to me tonight. It'll either go forward with you or without you. I've told the Lord, I says, Lord, don't let me get in my own way. Convict me, Holy Spirit, when I am the problem. When I'm the one that's holding back progress. God, show me because I know God's kingdom will go forward. I want to go with him. But some of us, for whatever reason, have chosen to stand your ground. Your favorite hymn is, I shall not be moved. For some of us, maybe it's time to move forward. Lastly, we learn it's possible for Christians to have sharp differences over matters of preference and yet remain supportive of one another labors for the kingdom. 
labors for the kingdom. So maybe, just maybe, this is for us. For such a time as this, somewhat removed from the great tragedy of 2011, but yet in preparation for other trials that may be on the horizons, would we be willing to say, God, I lay it down. God, I give it all to you. I will no longer hold this back. Because I made up my mind a long time ago, and it sort of set me free, guys. And again, not perfection, but just trying to do the things that God would have you to do. I want to go forward with Him. I got to speak with your students for a few minutes tonight. My favorite passage over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, about mounting up with wings as eagles, running, not be weary, walking, and not faint. Love that passage. You may be a young person here tonight, and there's already been something to happen in your few years on this earth that's caused you bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. I'm going to ask you tonight to lay it down. It's not worth carrying around with you. It's not worth you being mad at the world and having inner rebellion that will turn into outer bad choices. Moms and dads, for you, maybe it's time to lay it down. Don't carry it alone any longer. My first night here on Sunday evening, I saw the headstone out there about forgiveness. Had no idea what in the world is this. Your pastor explained it to me tonight. He told me about the casket. He told me about the cards you filled out and laid it and you buried it. Since that moment, maybe there are some things that have sort of risen to the top for whatever reason. Tonight, let's do it. I want you to bow your heads with me. Thank you for being so gracious. We're going to sing in just a moment. And maybe you need to come. And just as you filled out that card and you put it into that casket before it was buried, maybe you need to come and just physically lay it down. Maybe like the woman who left her water pot with Jesus. You just need to come and lay it down. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The woman who had been married and divorced five times and now living with a man, but she met the Messiah. Let's leave all that past and all of that with Jesus for such a time as this. So, Father, we come tonight and we give you this revival. We not only give you this evening, we give you this revival. And, Lord, our prayer is that it will continue that we will not hold back and we will let go. And Lord, as we let go, we know we fall into your arms, especially as it relates to our identity that for so long has been bound up by who I'm mad at, who I hate, who I'm struggling with. But tonight, Lord, we release all that to you in the name of Jesus so that we can truly experience the forgiveness that only Christ can give. 
So now, Holy Spirit, we thank you in advance for your work inside of us, around us, moving us to decision. And we are so careful, Lord, especially in a message like this, to give you all honor, all glory, and all praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name.